Quintessential Podcast welcomes in a, a super special guest, Dave Petromala, assistant coach at Syracuse, uh, the former head man at Cornell and Johns Hopkins, uh, joins us. Coach, uh, I know it's a busy week for you in terms of recruiting the MIA championships. Semifinals are on Tuesday. The, the Friday championships are coming from Annapolis at 730. You can watch those at uh, miachampionships.com. You're uh, recruiting and watching your son, so it's got to be a, uh, uh, an eventful week for you. Yeah, you know, it's uh, obviously we'd prefer to be uh, missing those games and uh, and preparing for uh, an opponent, but that's not the way it is this year. Um, so uh, we need to make the most of our, our opportunities and uh, it'd be nice to the silver lining is I get the chance to watch my sons play. Um, and uh, obviously we get a little bit of a head start on the uh, recruitment of the uh, 23s and 24s. I got to tell you, before we get into the quarterfinals, I, I got a chance to watch Boys Latin play Calvert Hall a couple uh, Tuesdays ago. And, you know, I haven't been involved in the league in 12 years, but I was in the league for 12 years. And watching that game, it was unbelievable. The level of the spirit, the fight, the skill level. Uh, it was it was an incredible high school event. Uh, and it just it just brought back so many thoughts and, and people talk about the league all the time and man, it, it, it delivered. Yeah. You know, Quinn, it's one of the reasons why you, you try to recruit out of that league. You know, you're getting kids, uh, young men that are, are well coached. Um, you're getting kids that not only compete game day, but also, you know, are challenged every day in practice. And you know that from your time at boys Latin and the kids that you coach there. So you're playing against, a, a, you know, a talented group each and every day which helped you grow and, and improve. So it, it's been a big part of our recruitment is to try to get down here and, and spend a little bit more time in the MIA and these leagues that are more challenging, the IAC and, and leagues like that. Quarterfinal action starts on Saturday at noon on ESPNU from Hofstra. Seth Tierney will have his, uh, his windows of his office boarded up this year. Uh, we'll be at practice on Friday. First game is Penn and Rutgers. And coach, I want to ask you about Sam Handley, Penn's midfielder. Rare combination of speed and size. I got to see him in the Ivy League tournament two weeks ago in person. And, and I got to tell you, like that combination, Gate-like, John Reese-like, you played against big and fast midfielders. What are the coaching points when you're dealing with a guy like Handley? Well, I'm not sure I played against a guy quite like this one. Um, you know, Gary and Paul were, <laughs> were in six foot five. Uh, this kid's six foot five, but I think the more challenging piece is he's 230 pounds, you know, coming downhill at you from the midfield. And Penn does such a good job of bringing him in late through the box um, with these long dodges. So now not only is he big, but he's got a, you know, a head of steam, um, which is challenging. You know, I, I think part of the, the challenge is to decide where do you play him? Do you drop off and stay near the box and look to slide early or you try to get out on him and not give him that, you know, that head of steam, that running start at you, try to get your hands on him a little bit earlier, you know, and, and, and try to drive him toward the sidelines and away from the goal. Um, I think much of that depends on your, your game plan and how you want to slide. But this is a guy that commands attention. Uh, he's going to draw slides. And, and I think, you know, in this game, Rutgers is going to have to, force the unknowns to beat him. Sam, Sam Hanley can't be the guy that beats Rutgers. I mean, you're talking about a midfielder with 70 points. That's, that, that's a heck of a year for anyone, let alone a midfielder. And, and the thing maybe Quint that's so impressive 
is he's so balanced. 36 yeah. goals, 30, uh, 36 goals, 34 assists. So he kind of, he possesses the, the, the whole thing. When you slide to him, he's unselfish enough to move it. And when you don't, he bears, you know, he bears toward the goal and, and, and he bears it. Yeah, he, he hits outside shots. So you have to play him. He runs through smaller defenders and he steps away. You know, he'll initiate contact, step away and feed. He'll step away and shoot. He'll step away and then you relunge at him and he swims you. Uh, and, and then he's flanked by two really good shooters. Dylan Gargar on the right side is a wicked right-handed shooter with his feet set. And Cam Rubin has a, a beautiful left-handed release. Ben Smith, the guy you coached, he's a freshman now. He hovers around the pipes. It's a really simple top-down offense. Uh, I mean, it, it's like something any high school in the country can run, and it just puts defenses in all sorts of conflict. Yeah, you know, when I think of ACC midfielder, midfields, I think of one that looks like Pence. And, you know, that's what you've seen in the past from the ACC. And the three kids they, they put, out, put out there um, are ACC-type midfielders. Um, you know, I think the challenge for Penn – you know, isn't their opponent as much as it's themselves. You know, they tend to turn the ball over a little bit. Uh, they tend to, to take a little bit of risk. And if they can protect the ball, you know, and, and generate quality shots, which they're more than capable of doing, um, I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on this Rutgers defense. And in particular, um, you know, the kid, in the, the, the kid in the goal. Yeah, Colin Kirst, uh, he's had a great year. He was really sharp last week. Uh, I was on, on the scene at Rutgers, really impressed with his ability around the crease as well, getting grounders and throwing good outlet passes and, and occasionally carrying the ball. He's a real lacrosse player, it seems, playing goalie. You coached against Rutgers. It's a super veteran team known for their early offense. Now, last week they didn't run in transition much, but they do do a good job of keeping their shorties on the field. And, and, and making things tough in terms of the sub game. What, what's important when you're trying to deal with that first wave, when they bring guys like Tommy Coyne or Brennan Kamish down, and all of a sudden you've got offensive midfielders out there playing D? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing I think is, is, is your offense. I think Penn's offense is going to, you know, they're going to help the defense. If they're turning the ball over and the ball's on the ground, the ball's loose, and Rutgers is able to pick it up and, 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 and push it downfield, which they've got poles that are more than capable of doing it. And as you mentioned, their short sticks are actually, you know, very offensive. Um, so I think, I think Penn's offense is going to play a huge role in this game. Are they able to generate quality shots? Um, are they able to drop back quickly? And, you know, when, when, when I was at Hopkins and we played Rutgers, we, we, we talked about the first 12 seconds of the possession, how critical that was, and that we wanted to get in and not run off and create transition. We wanted to get in the hole and that we needed to be on high alert, uh, high alert for those you know, first 12 to 15 seconds of the possession. Will they, will they run their early offense, their quick strike? And then, you know, once it's settled down and those guys sub off, then you get your short, your, your midfielders, your offensive midfielders off the field and you get your short sticks on. So, you know, in general, and I know they didn't play a lot of quick strike in the last game, but in general, you've got to, you've got to defend those first, you know, 12 to 18 seconds of the possession with your offensive middies. And then you've got to be good at getting them off with the Rutgers midfielders and poles 
and then getting your your, your rope unit on and then develop, defending them in a six-on-six six situation. Yeah, and six-on-six six, six sets. They've got some talented wing players. Uh, Shane Knobloch can, can beat you with a split. Ronan Jacoby's a really talented wing guy. He's got great hands. But Ross Scott has emerged, and this will be our last point on this game. He, his speed, his quickness, it reminds me a little bit of a Jordan Wolf. It's a one move and go. And if he doesn't have you, he's planting and coming back the other way. He seems to be creating separation now, Dave, almost every time he handles the ball. How do, you, how do defenders deal with uh, a smallish attackman who may be quicker than them? Well, I think the first thing they, that's got to happen is Penn's got to decide how they want to play the big little, you know, meaning the, uh, you know, the uh, attack midi picking game below goal line extended. Um, you saw a lot of that. You saw Scott Ross, you know, in mismatches versus short sticks in that game quite a bit. Uh, they drew a lot of switches off the picking game. So I, I think, number one, you know, Penn's going to have to be really good in the big little game below goal line extended. The second thing is you got to know who Scott Ross is. He's got 48 goals and 22 assists. He's a scorer. He's a guy that wants to get to the goal. And as you said, you know, he, he's, he's quick and fast. That's the difference. Some guys are quick. Some guys are fast. I think he actually possesses both. So, you know, my opinion is the way you handle him is I think you got to force him to be something he's not, which is you got to make him a passer, get the ball out of his stick and force them to score, you know, goals off of the second, the third, the fourth pass, rather than in the last game, you know, he makes a quick move, comes around the corner and buries it for eight goals. Yeah. Too easy, too, too, too easy. And he is, uh, he's playing with a lot of confidence. You know, he had a surge late in the season. He was key in that Penn state comeback win. And he's been really strong ever since, especially dangerous late in the shot clock off, of, you know, off an out of bounds play, let's say with 10 or 15 to go in the shot clock. Uh, game two is Princeton and Yale. It's an Ivy League game. Recently, Yale has controlled the, uh, the, the rivalry. They met earlier in the year. It was a 14-12 Yale win. Matt Brandau went nuts in that game. It looked like Princeton struggled to clear against the 10-man, and that's where I want to start. Yale's 10-man, it's a zone-based 10-man, unlike like Carolina's is a more man-based. And it looks like it lines up like three, four across the middle, and then three, uh, you know, similar to a, a zone coverage in football. What 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 are the what are the perils? What what are the challenges with clearing the ball against Yale's ten man? Well, they get into it so quickly. They do such a good job of getting into it. So it's predetermined when the offense comes out on the field. They're 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 going to run their set, and they know, you know, hey, we're on offense, but we're we're in the ten man ride. If we turn it over, if there's a save, uh, and they do such a good job. And the other pieces, they're so committed to it. You know, you know ten mans aren't very good if you're not fully committed to it, and Yale is. Um, so they do a great job there. They do a great job of getting pressure on your hands and not letting you look. So a couple of things that, that need to happen for Princeton is, number one, it would be ideal if off a loose ball or a save, Princeton could get up and out quickly. Easiest way to beat a 10-man is to not allow it to get set up. So if Princeton gets a clean save um, and can outlet the ball up the field, uh, that'll help them if they can get a, you know, a quick ground ball and find a short stick and get it to a short stick quickly. Short stick stands a better chance of running by an attackman or running by a double team. Uh, the next piece is if they're forced to settle, Princeton's going to have to bring everybody back to the ball and they're going to have to bring their attack up the field and force Yale's goalie away from the goal. 
Yale will be forced to make a decision. Do they want to go that far with an attackman? And then if you bring all your people in the clearing game back to the ball, you obviously outnumber the riding team and the ball's got to move very, very quickly. And quite frankly, if there's pressure, you've got to alleviate it by running by it. Once you run by the first guy, then the 10 man tends to break down because they're either forced to slide up the field and they're open men, or they're just going to drop in and, and drop into their defense. Yeah, Princeton's faced the 10 man uh, recently in games against Brown. You know, since that Yale game, they faced it and they're actually they're clearing the ball better, I think, now than they were when those teams played. And like so many times in the playoffs, we see rematch games. What's important in rematch games? What should fans understand about rematch games? Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. You know, you and I have both been a part of these, you know, and, and everybody, you know, you tend to learn more from a loss than a win. I think it's critical to learn from wins. You know, so you, you, you see this game. Princeton, obviously, going to be motivated. They lose the last game. They're going to look back and say, okay, what was their game plan? What did they do well? So you brought up the 10-man. They're going to spend time this week working on that 10-man that 10-man ride and clearing versus it. On the other side, the question is, what does Yale do differently? You know, you, you've got to look at it from both sides. Princeton's got to look at what did they do well and have success versus with, and what are they going to do differently? Yale, on the other hand, has to say, okay, we won the game. What could we have done better? You know, what could where where did Princeton either miss some opportunities? Or where did Princeton fall down and what are they going to do to change, you know, how, how, how they achieve success versus them? Um, never easy. When you win, it's hard to change. You know, you've achieved success and you say, okay, we won the game. You know, obviously you did some things well. I think it's critical that Yale look at that film and kind of forecast and, and, and say this is where, you know, they maybe missed some opportunities we need to clean that up. We need to be prepared for them to do more of that because they're going to watch it on film and see where they missed chances to have success. And I think Princeton's, you know, obviously going to be motivated, but I think Princeton has to find a way to do some things differently. And the first thing they got to find a way is how to not let Matt Brandale have five goals. Yeah. You know, Princeton actually, they struggled in the last two regular season games of the year. They gave up a ton of goals and a loss to Cornell and then Harvard a game that they seemingly hit the wall. You watch that game on tape and they just look tired. So the week off did them well. Thought their defense played great last week against BU. This, this is a different animal when you're playing Yale. BU didn't have athletes who could run by them. And then I, I like Princeton's settled offense a lot. I think they pass the ball well. I think they have complementary skill sets. Uh, you know, English, Sam English is an old school two-way guy. He can get downhill on you. Bardaro's got the outside shot. You know, Brown pushes from that left wing. Mackesy's got the skill around the net. I, I, I think it all fits together. I want to talk about Brandau, the last thing about this game. You had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with him last year when he uh, basically withdrew from school like so many Ivy League players. Uh, two years ago, Andy Shea, we were just texting, and he said, I think Matt Brandau can be the best player in Yale history. And I was like, you know, this was before Brandau really had, had, had much playing experience. And I'm like, really, coach? And he goes, yeah. And so he's, he's putting Brandau on, on par with guys like Ben Reeves, uh, which was, which I thought was, was pretty aggressive and, and really unlike Andy, uh, you spent some time with Matt. What's, what's he like as a young man? You know what? He's uh, he gets it, Quint. Uh, you know, he's got a level of maturity for a young guy, his age that very few have. Um, 
he's focused. He's motivated. Um, you know, I, I, if I had to describe him with one word, I would say balanced would be the appropriate word, meaning he, he's still a young guy, you know, understands that he's young and should enjoy life a little bit. But he also has a, 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 an intensity and a focus about him that you don't often see from young people, but you do see from great players. When you think about all the greats that have played the game, you know, you talk about the John Reese's, the Gates, the Paul Rabels, the Harrisons, the Pat Spencers. You know, they all had something that was a little bit different than others. And Matt Brandau has a competitive spirit that, uh, you know, I think sets him apart. Uh, and I think the other thing he has is a work ethic. You know, when I was, uh, you know, I had my year off of coaching and I was uh, helping at Boys Latin a little bit. Every day after practice, he'd run. He'd shoot. He'd bring some kids out. He'd bring high schoolers out and try to help them. Um, he's always working on his craft, you know, and I know there was a lot of talk this year, you know, about, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the player of the year. And, you know, Sam Hanley, I believe, gets the player of the year. Um, Matt Brandau is as good a player as there is right now in the sport of lacrosse um, from a, not only a talent perspective, but from a leadership perspective as well. That's a guy you want in your locker room, and that's a guy you want in your foxhole when it matters most. Sunday, the action swings uh, out west a bit to Columbus, Ohio, the horseshoe. Delaware, who beat uh, Georgetown uh, in D.C. on Sunday night dramatically, will face uh, Cornell. I, I want to start with Cornell and Ben DeLuca. You you've had a long relationship with Coach. Uh, what's he like? What do you think his mindset and temperament will be this week? Well, he's uh, my first captain of my first team. He actually was a part of the interview process when I interviewed at Cornell University. Uh, and then we worked together at Cornell. Um, ben has really grown. Um, he's learned from his experiences at Cornell. Um, he learned from his time down at Duke. And, you know, now he's got round two at Delaware. And I think what Ben has done a great job of, Quint, is understanding who he is and what he wants his program, what he wants Delaware lacrosse to look like. Um, at Cornell, they thrived off of the play of Canadians. Uh, he's done that at Delaware now. Delaware traditionally has had, always had a couple of uh, very talented Canadians. Um, they're gritty. They're tough. They grind it out. In, in all actuality, um, you know, I, I find this game to be the most interesting because I think the mindset of both teams are the most similar. You know, I think both teams know exactly who they are. Uh, but where I'm most impressed is I saw Delaware earlier in the year, and that team that played against Georgetown the other night was not the same team that I saw play earlier in the year. They've done a great job with player development. You know, Ward Robinson and Kurtz are all playing very well. Um, but where I've seen great improvement, the face-off X was huge the other day, and so was their play in the goal. Yeah, the, the, uh, Kilcarry, he has gotten hot. Uh, you know, this is a team, Delaware, early in the year. They beat St. Joe's. They beat Johns Hopkins. So I think they showed that potential that they hit a three-game losing streak, uh, including getting, you know losses to UMass and, and Hofstra. And sometimes that can be a huge benefit, like to bring a team together, to, to establish that identity, and to really – humble a team into uh understanding how important like every ground ball is 
they've been playing good defense lately. You know, they've held, I think, four straight opponents to single digits, which in the shot clock era is exceptional, quite honestly. Like the new par number is 12. They've held four teams. This kid, Owen Grant, their defender, uh, I think he's one of the best I've seen all year, active, physical, uh, playing a Cornell group that's attack-based. And you, you, you got to see Cornell in person this year. What are the challenges with dealing with John Piatelli, Michael Long, and, and C.J. Kirst? Well, you know what? Pick your poison, but I, I, I think everybody wants to talk about those three. And, and I actually think it's one of the most unheralded attacks in the country. Uh, but where I think it starts, Quint, is it starts at the midfield with Coyle, Lachardi, and Kelleher. And if, if in this game, Delaware is forced to slide to those three guys, then Piatelli, Kirsten, Long become a bear. Um, this is a team that passes the ball very well. They're unselfish. Um, they get a lot of goals off of a face-off loss where they get the ball back. They ride it back. They get a lot of goals off of the riding game, off of loose balls. But if Cornell can force Delaware to slide to those three middies coming out of the box and long dodging, now Piatelli and Curse really become challenges on those wings because they're, they're playing against rushed approaches. They're playing against a short stick that may have to rotate to one of them off of a slide. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, as I said, I think these two teams really know who they are. Cornell knows exactly who they are. They know how they have to play, how they, win, how, how they have to win. Uh, but Piatelli and Kirst have been tremendous. 72 and 71 points. I mean, is, is there a more balanced attack than those two guys? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a top attack group. BU actually led the country in points per game prior to their Princeton loss. I know Virginia was up there, and, the, and this Cornell group is as well. I, I, I think their skill sets complement each other. And it's interesting, you know, Coyle, really shifty at 5'7", Lachardi listed at 5'7". Those guys have some shake. Kelleher's a nice-looking young sophomore. He's going to be a star. Uh, he's a MacArthur kid. And he's big. And if, when he gets running downhill, he is drawn slides. Uh, I'm slow to go on those guys. Uh, you know, honestly, I'd, I'd rather see Cornell's midfielders beat me. Last thing about this game is the play of, of uh, Cornell defender Gavin Adler this year. Hewlett, Long Island is right around the corner from, from uh, where I grew up. It's the same high school as Max Sebald. This kid's unbelievable. Uh, he's undersized, but super strong. His feet are almost perfect. His hand placement, I love. He's always on your hips. He's in your gloves. His, his motor and his attitude, uh, I, I couldn't be more impressed with the defender. Well, what, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from Gavin? Yeah, he, he's undersized. He's usually or often overmatched physically, and yet he usually handles his matchup. Um, we played them, and uh, we were fortunate. Tucker Dordovic actually had uh, some success against them. Um, you know, he, he's a kid who plays with a huge chip on his shoulder. Um, he plays with a, a level of intensity, uh, a level of focus. I actually think he's very representative of what Cornell lacrosse is all about. You know, when I was there, we, we introduced the hard hat. And when Jeff Tambroni took over and Ben DeLuca, that's been a piece of Cornell lacrosse for years. He's very representative of that attitude. You know, the hard hat, you come in, you show up, you punch the clock, you do your work, you, you take pride in your craft, 
and you do it from a tough, physical, hard-nosed manner. And, uh, you know, you take that attitude along with a guy who's got great feet and flips his hips very, very well um, and plays very fundamentally sound, doesn't take too many risks. Um, you know, I think you, 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 you get what you, you see, what you get, which is, you know, a first team All-American. Yeah. Last game of the quarterfinals uh, will be from uh, the Horseshoe, 2.30, ESPNU and the ESPN app. Chris Cotter, Ryan Boyle, and Katie George, who you'll see the summer covering PLL games, will be there. Uh, and, and this is so far the game of the tournament. It's Maryland and Virginia. Cavs have won two straight national championships. Maryland's undefeated and have been as dominant as, as any team that, that I can recall. Uh, what's the psychology here, Coach? What's, what's important? in terms of uh, the big picture psychology of this game, being a rematch from a uh, pretty one-sided Maryland win earlier in the year, two top programs, like the, the mental aspects, what's important? Well, you got to remember um, last year and uh, University of Maryland loses in the national championship to Virginia. So when they head into that first game of the year, where, uh, you know, Maryland wins 23 to 12, and it was very lopsided, you, you can't not understand that that was that game was circled on the Maryland schedule the day it came out. Um, so, you know, now that that's done and over with, uh, you know, I think we kind of go back to playing lacrosse a little bit more. And I don't think you'll see as lopsided a, a game, 23 to 12. Um, you know, I think for Maryland, they remind me very much of our, you know, 2005 Hopkins team. You know, they've been very workmanlike recently. Um, you know, they don't get overly excited after they score goals. To be honest with you, Quint, that team is, is looking to May. They're looking to the final four. And I know our 05 Hopkins team, all they wanted to do was get the regular season over, get the first round of the playoffs over, and they wanted to get to the final four because they had something to prove, you know, there at, at, at that venue. I think the Maryland team is, is somewhat like that. So the key is that they stay focused this week. Um, you know, they continue to play the way they do. They're getting great production now. Their second midfield was excellent last week. Um, and I think from Virginia's standpoint, you know, again, it's a lopsided loss. There's a lot to learn from. Um, you, you know, there's a, there's a lot to look at. Um, there's a lot to change. You know, do you change your matchups? Do you, you know, come out with a different game plan. You gave up 23 goals. That's a, that's, that's a lot of goals. So I, I think what will happen is a lot of, I mean, obviously there'll be great emotion because of what's at stake, a trip to the final four, but I think you'll see these teams go back to playing lacrosse rather than Maryland looking at it as, Hey, we lost in the national championship game last year. Yeah. Maryland's offense. There's a lot of things. We could talk about this game for three hours. Uh, <laughs> We could Luke, Luke, Luke Weirman, the, the Maryland's faceoff guy, you know, he sets the table. They score transition goals with their rope and shorties. When Maryland has the ball, it's, this has been as gorgeous a motion offense as I've seen. It's constant. They're hunting high quality shots. They don't settle. They're shooting 41% and it's everybody sharing uh, the, the production. They got like seven guys with more than 30 points. Uh, I haven't seen anything like it. They've been a machine. What I've been surprised at, Dave, is how defenses haven't thrown more wrinkles at them, quite honestly. Uh, if I'm Virginia, I have a zone ready. They haven't shown a zone since, since that Maryland game. If they, if they haven't been working on one, I'd be shocked because 
I would zone this team early because I think it would get their feet set and maybe get them out of that motion pattern to start. I think you got to sprinkle in some slide packages where you're not, you're not sliding to some of these Maryland guys. Most of these Maryland guys are passers. Uh, I think you're, you're maybe some shutoff here and there to, again, to make them, no one's done anything to make Maryland uncomfortable. Why, why is that? Well, uh, I, I think it's, you know, more out of fear, you know, and it's, it's a pick your poison type thing. And I, I, you and I are on the same page here. We actually were one of two teams that, um, you know, <laughs> we gave up 14 goals and yet I'm saying, going to say we defended them fairly well, the, probably um, the best all year. Well, Notre Dame gave up 11. Um, but with those were two of the better defensive games. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, almost almost 64% of their goals are assisted. And I agree with you. There isn't a team that shares the ball better than this group right now. Um, so how do you approach that? Number one, I agree. They move so well. So, you know, what, what you do is maybe you show a little zone. Now, the concern there is now you're giving Wisniewskis his hands free. You're giving Kyle Long his hands free. Now you're making Donville, you know, an even greater option on the interior versus the zone. So your question of, well, why haven't teams done that? That's the answer. You start to look at it and you say, holy cow. Okay, now we give those guys their hands free. They got an entity that's very good on the interior. Don't like the way that looks. But I'm with you. I, I think giving them a steady diet of anything is probably... Not good, because as soon as they get comfortable and they figure out what you're doing, they attack it appropriately. So I would zone them a little bit. We did once or twice. Um, I would not move a lot if you can, meaning if you have to slide a bunch to this team, you're going to be in trouble because the more you move, now you got Wisnowskis on that you know 250, that left wing, versus rushed approaches, versus bad approaches. You've got all these guys dodging off of ball movement and approaches, and they share it so well. They pass up the 12 for a 10, the 10 for an 8, and the 8 for a 3-yarder. So I, I wouldn't move a lot if we don't have to. I might uh, I might go after, you know, you know I'm, I might play Malaver and say I'm not sliding to him. You know, we played him, and we said we weren't going to slide to Khan, and we played him that way. And fortunately, we were able to get away with it, but his game has developed and improved. So I think you got to pick your poison, and I don't think you're able to walk into this game saying, we're going to do just this and think you're going to win. I don't think you can give them a steady diet of anything. I, I completely agree with you. And, and just to change things up, to have them look to the bench, to make Coach Benson come out and and give you buy you 10 seconds. That's how good this group is. Like, if you can do something that buys you 10 or 15 seconds while they're getting organized, I think it's a win. Yeah, I, I, I was talking about not sliding to them and Kyle Long during the Hopkins, the first possession of the game, runs by this guy from the wing and, like, scores. I'm like, well, I guess you have to slide to him. So, so like, can you get as specific as, okay, we're, we're, we're leaving our poles on an island, but we'll slide to our shorts, or we, we need to help out on Long and Owen Murphy but not on DeMeo and Donville. Like, can that be installed at the college level right now? Yeah, I mean, of course it is. When, you know, in, at Hopkins, we did it when I was there as the head coach. And, you know, we, you know, one guy we would slide and double, another guy we would slide quickly to, another guy we would slow slide to. I mean, we, 
we we had that. Um, you know, a lot depends on your personnel. The last thing you want to do is do so much, and now you're playing slow because you're overthinking things. Virginia's going to need to play fast. But, you know, you got Cole Kastner, you got Sawstead. You know, if I'm Virginia, I'm not sure if I'm going to slide to Malivar or, or, or Khan. I, you know, I, I understand how talented they are and how they've improved, but, you know, I don't want I don't want Logan Wisnowski's getting a ball off a of ball movement and off of a rotation. That's the leading scorer of their team. I, I want him to try to, I, I want him to beat us. You know, I'm, I'm looking at Khan's numbers and he's 28 and 21. That's a great year. Logan Wisnowski's is 44 and 33. You're talking about 77 points compared to 49. I'm making a guy with 49 points beat me for three goals before I start sliding all over the place. And, and now allowing the number one draft pick in the PLL to set his feet and catch and shoot. So I think you can do that. You know, Virginia, you know, saw stats a little healthier now um, than, than they, he was the first time they played. Um, you know, Kastner's had a great year. So I think, you know, they're, they're going to have to put a lot of onus on their close defense when the ball goes there. But, you know, the other piece is Merlin does such a good job of initiating their offense with the middies and forcing you to slide to those guys. And then they get in the big little and they're terrific in it. So again, I think the key here is you can't let Maryland settle in and get comfortable. So the way you do that is you don't give them a steady diet and maybe the zone early forces them to stand around a little bit. Then you go back to man and the hope is maybe in their motion offense, they're standing around a little bit still. It reminded me a little bit of, of the way we used to approach Virginia a number of years back. And it was, we're going to zone early because they stood around versus the zone and they shot their way out of it. And then when you went to man-to-man, they stood around still. So, you know, the, the hope is you can do that. But this is as complete a team as I've seen all, all year. You try to poke holes in it. Yeah, I'm really not sure there there are any. Yeah, they they do a great job off of restarts. Their their, their shorties and poles and and Weirman have combined for more than uh, I think it's 33 goals. So they're getting two goals a game from non-offensive personnel. Defensively, they they've been you know they're they're the best scoring defense left in the tournament. So they have the top offense and top defense left in the tournament. The only thing I'd say two things, you know. I don't think teams have attacked them well from a personnel standpoint. I, I believe they have a defender who needs to be taken to the rack. It's just, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and I think when you're riding them, I, I think you got to get back. And I, I think you got to let their goalie, Logan McNaney, handle. Uh, almost to the point of a weak ride where I'm letting him c- carry the ball up past the midfield line two, three, four times a game to try to get him tired, to try to m- m- make him clear the ball. Uh, if I'm Virginia, that's just my opinion. I'm not calling this game, so I can kind of go out on a limb a little more. <laughs> well, you know, I, I understand your point about attacking a specific defender, but you got to remember here, you know, when you look at Virginia, okay, you got Matt Moore and you got Connor Schellenberger, yeah. both yeah. great players, both number one guys, but the third guy, his role is not that of a, I, a, an attacking, you know, Dodger. And to be honest with you, when we played Virginia the second time, we put a short stick on Colmier. I know. Uh, to try yeah, to force him into that role. Well, and my point for Virginia would be consider starting Dixon or Schutz at your third attack spot. 
and run Cormier through the box. Yeah, yeah. You know, listen again. It, it, you know, it, it's easy to sit sit in the stands or sit in the booth and like you and I right now. <laughs> I know, I know, computer, I know. But University of Virginia has won two national championships. Um, they've they've won them with 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 an attack like of this group. Um, you know, and Peyton Cormier, they've had an awful lot of success with those three guys at the attack. I actually think Matt Moore is going to be really important here. Um, I think That's what I was going to ask you about the Schellenberg, Schellenberger more dynamic. And, and what do you think stands out here? Well, I, I think when the ball's in Schellenberger stick, and this is what we were concerned about. And it's one of the reasons why we put a short stick on Cormier was we know that Connor Schellenberger has got eyes for Peyton Cormier. They do a great job in their big little with, uh, you know, with Xander Dixon behind the goal. Um, or Connor, with, Jeff Connor back Con there. Jeff Connor in the big little with Schellenberger and they love to throw inside. They run that little high, low, they cut to the ball side yeah, the and then they post. pop the opposite guy and the opposite guys call me all the time. Um, so he shorted him and said, we're not going to slide off the interior. We're going to come off the perimeter. Now, obviously, um, you know, they scored a significant number of goals, but we were able to take Comey, who's a five goal scorer in the first game and make him a two goal scorer in the second game. Um, you know, it's a challenge, but Matt Moore, I think, is critical for them because if he and Schellenberger are on their game and forcing Maryland to slide, that becomes more challenging. The other piece is the faceoff X is, you know, Maryland won 25 out of 40 in the last game. They were six of nine in the first quarter, which gave them a chance to get out of the gates. They scored off the first, actually, first faceoff and first possession. So, you know, we've gone against Peter LaSalle, and two years ago, um, you know, our guy Jacob Fopp had his way with him, and, 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 and Syracuse was fortunate to win in large part because of the efforts at the X. This year, we faced him the first time, and he was terrific. Um, clearly he circled that game. Um, you know, so I, I'm going to assume that there are going to be some adjustments made there at the X and, you know, if Maryland can go 25 or 40, then I think they're going to be really hard to beat. If that can be more of a 50, 50 game there, um, you know, and Virginia can come up with a couple of loose balls, maybe off of loss of the clamp and get a little transition. Uh, I, again, I don't think you see a 23 to 12 game. Yeah. Yeah, last thing, Dave, Virginia's offense, uh, it seems like their offense coordinator, Sean Kerwin, it's very, it's a matchup oriented offense. Like he surveys the field and he'll pick on, on, on another team or pick on or try to create and pick on a matchup using, using the two man game, especially uh, where, where, you know, a guy like Jeff Connor will carry behind the goal or Griffin shuts uh, and Schellenberger sets a pick. What, so the keys there is, are we switching or are we going to maintain our matchup? And then where are we sliding from and how are we rotating? So some the teams who have come from the inside, it's usually Dixon and Cormier on that, that scissors, that X cut they, they run. Yeah. It seems yeah. like, as you guys said, well, their step-down shooters haven't been as hot this year. So, so let, let's rotate off the corners. Is th those your base decisions? Yeah. You know, they are a, uh, you know, the heck with you kind of team. They're going to say, come out and say, okay, we're more talented than you are. They're very simple on offense. It's not complicated at all. They run the uh, two, 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 big little. They run their, you know, sweep exchange. Um, they run off a high post a little bit. Um, they put they they put you in positions 
where if you slide, they challenge your second slide. They put their 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 attackmen, uh, five and one Schellenberger and more in space out on the wing when they sweep the middle. Um, which those two guys are obviously terrific in space. You know, I think the key here is this is a team that has to be forced down the alleys. You cannot allow them to sweep the middle. They got to go down the alleys. Um, it's also a team that, you know what, again, the more you slide, the more Comier becomes an issue on the interior. Um, I would, you know, again, easier said than done. We faced them twice. Um, you know, I'd like to see that Maryland force them to shoot shots on the run down the alley, uh, give their goalie McEnany a chance to make those saves and then get up and out. So Virginia can't get lined up in the 10 man. Uh, but I think that is critical. And then the other piece is the big little Maryland, in my opinion, Jesse Bernhardt has done a great job this year. Um, they were challenged a year ago versus the invert. And this year, they've done a great job versus it. And you're going to see a lot of the 22 big little behind with Schellenberger and Connor or Schellenberger and Dixon. And uh, Maryland's ability to defend that and defend the interior of that, which if Dixon's not below goal line, he's inside with Comier, two terrific interior players. If Maryland can keep from having to slide from in there, uh, I think they give their goalie a much better chance for success. Last thing, Coach, uh, four quarterfinal games. It's, you know, I've always called this the payoff round, uh, having, having, you know, experienced uh, as a player and then as an announcer, like the differences in your season, you win this game. Uh, this, is, this is a season maker. Is, is, you know, what, 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 are your, what, are your, what are your thoughts on, on, on this, the stakes here for, for, the, for these kids, for their families, for these programs and the coaches? Well, you know, I, I think, number one, we all need to remember how fortunate they are and, and, and we are as fans to actually be able to play the game and, and, and sit in the stands for the game. There was a time not long ago where we weren't playing, you know, so I, I think there needs to be an appreciation. Um, you know, only one team's going to go home happy. That's it. It happens every year. Everybody wants to talk about the teams that make the final four. Only one goes home happy. But this 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 is the challenging game, Quint, because if you lose it, you're not in the final four. If you win it, you're at least in it and you got a chance. So there's a, I, I tend to find and found that for us, when I was at Hopkins and we were playing, we felt more pressure in this game than we did in the sem in, in, in the semifinals or the finals, because at least if you, you know, if you were playing on, on, on Memorial Day weekend, you were there, you know, and, and, and that was a, a huge step. That's a huge step for any program. But now when you start to look at it, Rutgers, have they ever been there? Never. A lot of pressure for them to get there. You know, Virginia, a lot of pressure. They, they won this thing two years in a row to get back. Princeton hadn't been there in a long time. You know, Yale's trying to build a reputation of consistency of being a final four team, you know, and, you know, it's funny, I, I, you know, the more you look at all this, the more impressed I become and, and the more, um, the more I look at it and I, I, and I marvel at the teams that are consistently there and consistently win. You know, there are teams, you know, Delaware, they're playing with house money right now. If I'm him, 
I'm telling them all the pressure is on Cornell. None of it is on us. You know, Maryland, I, I think Maryland's, you know, it, they don't win the national championship. They're going to look at this as, you know, an unsuccessful year for them because they've had so much success throughout the regular season. So I think this game, this these games this weekend are the most pressure-filled, in, in, in my opinion, as a coach. Thank you, Coach. And, and this round, go back uh, to uh, the last two years that we've played this. Six of the last eight quarterfinals have gone into overtime. So they've been tense. They've been close. And typically teams who stay in their personality, teams who stay in their identity, teams who stay true to their systems, uh, and maybe have a wrinkle here and there in some of these rematch games uh, will prevail. Uh, I want to thank Coach. Good luck this week with, 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 with your boys as the MIA semis are on. Tuesday, the finals, Friday in Annapolis. If you want to watch those, uh, I think you can watch them on MIAAChampionships.com has the information. It's, uh, it's, it's a spectacle. Last year, there was like 5,000 fans plus at the game. You did a great job as the Lakers took the title. But uh, coach, appreciate it. Best of luck to you this summer. Hope to see you and, and uh, stay healthy and, and uh, keep going. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on. It was fun to talk about these games.